I am on. I don't know about you, but that looked kind of sketchy, so be careful if you do attend next week. <laughs> We're going to wrap up the Daniel plan today and talk about the fifth F in the Daniel plan. So if you've been in the, in the community groups going through the Daniel plan, we've been talking about food and fitness and focus and friends, things that quite often we don't necessarily talk about in church, so it's been a pretty practical series. But I want to talk about the fifth F today. It's one that you would generally hear a lot about, talk about on a Sunday morning, and it's faith. But what does faith have to do with fitness and food and focus and friends? That has everything to do with those things because what you put your trust in determines everything. What you put your trust in determines everything. There's this famous author by the name of Sheldon Van Neuken and wrote, wrote in this book called Severe Mercy, and he tells about his conversion experience, and he says this, I realized I could not reject Jesus without a great step of faith, but then I began to realize I could not go ahead without a great step of faith. There was only one thing to do. Once I had seen the gap behind me was as every bit as big as the gap before me. I went across the gap before me to Jesus. And this, so this thing dawned on him, and he said this, and I think I'll have to come up on the screen. It says this, for years he said, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in Jesus. I wish I had faith, but I just don't. And suddenly the moment began to realize he began to realize it would take faith to believe. He realized it would take faith not to believe. Either way, he was basing his whole destiny on something he couldn't prove. So he said, okay, I might as well commit to Jesus and see whether that's true or not and find my way into that. Now, that might be a little heavy for you on a Sunday morning to process and think about, but imagine, imagine if you had the kind of faith where, where trouble and trial were coming at you and problem were coming at you, and you're like, God, I don't know what's going on, but I'm just going to take the next step and I'm going to walk with you through it. I have complete confidence in what you're doing. Imagine that kind of faith, or, or the kind of faith where there's this huge temptation right in your way, you know it's coming your way, or it's a huge addiction, or it's a huge thing you know, and you know if it gets a hold of you, you're done for, and you're like, God, uh, I don't know how I'm going to avoid that thing. Uh, and everything in me says, I, I just want to go with that. I just want to go into that addiction cycle. I just want to follow that temptation. But you, because of what you've done, I have a faith that's bigger than that. Imagine having that kind of faith. Or imagine having the kind of faith where something big's coming your way. Like, maybe you're getting a ton of inheritance money. Or, or like, that relationship you've always wanted, and, and she's completely out of your league. Or he's completely out of your league. And what happens when really good things come our way, folks? We tend to go with those things, don't we? And it's like, but you have such complete confidence in God, it's like, God... I have such trust in you, even though all this money's coming my way or there's great relationships coming my way that I definitely don't deserve. It's not going to change me. And I'm going to continue to trust in you, depend on you, and lean on you, 
no matter what. Imagine a faith like that. Or, or, or imagine a faith where, where you began, to, you actually trusted God more and more and more, even though things were getting worse and worse, or as my kids like to say, and worser. And it's like, they're getting so bad, but you're like, God, I know you have this perfect will for my life. And God, I don't know what's around the curb. I don't even know what the next step is, but I'm going to take it because I completely, completely trust you. Even though I don't know what you're doing, I'm going to go with you and then go with you through that. And, and, and I'm totally at peace. I have total contentment. Imagine a faith like that. Imagine a faith where it doesn't matter what happens to my marriage. It doesn't matter what happens to my relationships. It doesn't matter what happens to my finances. It doesn't happen what matter, matters to my home and security. Your faith in God is just unwavering. I'm trusting God no matter what. Imagine that kind of faith. And that kind of faith, I don't know, I don't know if you met people like this, maybe you met no one like this, but if you've ever encountered someone who has this kind of faith, you know what? A lot, they take a lot of abuse. You know why? People are like, dude, you're not living in the real world. Right, are you, look at all the turmoil going on in politics and the world and the environment. And in, you're like, hey, actually, you're not living in the real world because I have complete and total faith and confidence and trust in God. Imagine having that kind of faith. Imagine if that was your experience. And I want to start that way in this today. I want to wrap up this series this way because that's exactly where God wants you to be. That's where God wants to take you. That's where he wants to take me. God wants you to have complete confidence in him. Complete confidence in him no matter what comes your way. So if you open up this book, in the very first couple chapters, within three chapters, you start reading about the first man and the first woman, and they basically say, God, I don't think you know what's best for me, and I don't trust you. And then the rest of the whole book is about trying to restore that relationship, isn't it? Trust and confidence are important. Wouldn't, would you agree? Yeah. Imagine, imagine, imagine. The, the, and, I, and I would suggest the best thing you can have in a marriage is what? Total and complete confidence and trust. Would you agree? So, so uh, you know, you're, your husband hasn't called into you today. I know, he's late with his call, but I trust him. I have complete confidence in you. Or with, with, with a father and son. Hey, hey, your son's late. It's five o'clock. I know, but I completely trust him. Or the, son to the or son's, son's waiting for the dad to pick him up from his school. Hey, I thought you said your dad was going to be here at 545. It's six o'clock. I know, but I have complete confidence. Something must have come up. Something must have taken him sideways. Something must have happened. He's got a good reason for being late. And find me a great relationship, and that relationship's based on what? It's not based on, Dad, if you don't do these three things, then it's over, and we're going to have to have a talk. What's it based on? 
It's based completely and totally, and it's characterized by what? I trust you no matter what. I trust you whether you, you say you're going to do it and you're going to do it. I trust you whether you say you're going to do it and you don't do it. I trust you whether you say you're going to do it and you're late doing it, and then you maybe do it, but you don't do it. I trust you completely and totally. It, and, it, and, and I just, my response always is, I'm going to trust you. I just have that much confidence in you. Would you agree that's a, that's a good relationship? A good relationship between a man and a woman, between boys and girls, between girls and girls and boys and boys. It's, it's, we even see this relationship reflected in the Bible with, with, with God. The whole Old Testament is about God trying to build this relationship, these first 39 books, with the people of Israel, with the Jewish people and constantly trying to woo them into this relationship where they trust him completely. And if you've ever read through the thing, you know how well that goes. But then you come to the New Testament, and we're kind of a part of this New Testament narrative where God, through Jesus, is, jo- is now wooing us into this kind of new kind of relationship. And, and if you ask me, what does God want to do in your life? He's trying to teach you and me to trust him. And whether this is your first time in a church in years or you're kind of new and back into this thing or whether you've been here for 58 years. The issue right, when it comes right down to it, it's not about obedience. It's do you trust him? Do you trust this thing? Do you, do you have that kind of faith in him? And no matter what your background is, God's desire is to draw you into this faith relationship with him. And, and, and it's built around having absolute, perfect, complete confidence in him. God wants you to have this really, 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 really big faith. So what he's trying to do and he does this to me a lot, and maybe he does it to you a lot. He likes to blow your faith up a lot, doesn't he? He likes to test your faith a lot, doesn't he? He likes to throw little curveballs and other things at you. And he, because what's he trying to do? He's trying to make your faith bigger. He wants to make it huger. Because the essence of a relationship is not obedience. It's, it's not about us just knowing a bunch of stuff about God. It's not about you, if I just memorize the Bible and all the verses in it, then I'll have this foolproof faith. That's that's not the essence of a relationship. God wants your relationship characterized by him, by I trust you. God, I don't understand you, but I trust you. Here's what's so cool. I want to take you to a story today, and, and it's one of the most outstanding uh, stories in all of the scripture, and the thing that blows me away about it is it's the only time you can find in the Bible where Jesus is amazed by what some by something someone did. I kind of wish it was he was talking about me or one of you, but it's the only time you can find in all of this book where Jesus is amazed by something someone did. This is the only time where Jesus goes, "Wow, did you see that? Whoa, check this out." The only time, the only time where he goes, whoa, and he like catches him totally off guard. I want to be that person, you. 
Wouldn't that be great? Did you see that? Hey, could you do that again? Wouldn't that be cool to have Jesus say that about you? Uh, and it's the only time it happens. And it's, and it's interesting because the story's now not about someone doing some, like, amazing obedience thing. It's not about, like, some guy who's, like, walking along, sees a beautiful woman and averts his eyes and avoids adultery. It's not about some woman who just shows great stature and strength by not lying under pressure. It's actually a, a pretty interesting story about a soldier who's not even Jewish, and it's found in the book of Luke, and I'm going to read it to you here. It'll come up on the screen, but you can follow along here. And here's how the story goes. <laughs> so Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion, the Roman centurion, sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my, under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you, but say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority. With soldiers under me, I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say this to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. He was amazed at him. He was amazed at him. Only time you can read that in the Bible. And turning to the crowd, following him, Jesus said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Now, if you're an Israelite, how are you feeling right now? That's a bit, a bit of a slam, isn't it? Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. So what do we know about this Roman soldier? Because obviously, maybe there's some, some character qualities about him that if we, we capture them, we too can get complimented by Jesus. Woohoo! Well, one thing we know, because you can read about him in a couple of the parallel accounts, is he's incredibly generous. He helped the Jewish people build a synagogue. But here's a guy, for all we know, still worshipped the god Zeus. Here's the guy, for all we know, doesn't even know the Ten Commandments. He doesn't know the Ten anything. Here, here's a guy who probably never been, he definitely hadn't been in the inner temple, but he probably hadn't even been to the temple, and he doesn't even speak the language, but he recognized something about Jesus. He recognized something was going on that was bigger than Jesus. He recognized that somehow that Jesus was connected to, to, to the creator of illness and disease and life and death and and he put two and two together and he expressed his faith in jesus and jesus is like wow that's what i've been trying to tell the rest of you goofballs look this guy gets it this guy gets it this is this is why i came to earth and this guy, he understands the whole reason I came, that when you meet me, you can have absolute peace and absolute contentment and absolute joy because he understood, the soldier understood that Jesus represented God. And, and, and what do I have to worry about if I'm in the presence of God? And, and he recognized, hey, you don't even need to come to my house, Jesus. You just talk. My servant will be fine. I can have complete confidence. I'll just shake your hand, and my servant will be fine. 
because I know you're master of the universe. My servant will be healed because of who you are and who you're related to. See, centurions back then, Roman centurions back then, they were the backbone of the Roman Empire. But they reported to who? Because they weren't the top dog. The top dog was, well, above them were generals, and above the generals were the, or was the, the emperor, the king. And, and, and here's what he understood about himself. He goes, I have no authority in myself, but here in Israel, I'm a direct representative of the emperor. I have the emperor's authority. I have the emperor's power. And here's what he understood, and this is what Jesus is getting at here. It's not the strength of your faith, church, but the object of your faith that matters. It's not the strength of your faith, but it's the object of your faith that matters. It's not the perfection of your faith. So many of us think, if I don't do my 15 Hail Marys, and I don't run around in 20 circles, and if I don't have two hours of Bible study um, in a handstand position or lotus position, and if I don't pray in a certain direction, and if I don't do this or that, and if I don't discipline myself in such a way, but, but Jesus is getting at it. It's not the perfection of your faith, but it's the direction of your faith that matters. And, and, and his point is, when you direct your faith from other objects towards me, towards Jesus, that's when lights go on. There's, there's a story told about two mountain climbers, and they were climbing a mountain, and they both fell, and they landed on a, on a ledge, and the ledge was kind of tilting, and they were going to fall, and they looked to the, both sides of them, and they saw one rock outcropping, and the one guy says, that will definitely hold us. I am completely confident that if we step over here to the left, this will hold us. I'm, I'm positive. Just step over here with me. We'll be fine. And the other, the other climber was like, no, I, I, don't, I don't trust that. And so they looked over here to this, and they saw this other rock outcropping, and they're like, that one doesn't look all that good either, but, but I trust that one more than that one. I'm not so sure about this one, but... I'm going to step over here. So, so the first guy's like, man, I'm telling you this one's solid is good. So he steps over, and the rock gives way, and he falls. That's the end of the story. No, I'm just kidding. There's a bit more. And the other climber steps over to the one they kind of tentative about, and it holds them. And it holds them up. Who was saved? Was it the man who believed in his, with his whole heart in the rock? Was he saved? I'm not trying to trick you, but no, he, he wasn't saved. You always think I'm trying to trick you. It's 98% of the time you're right. But no, the man who believed in his whole heart, but Joe, he had 100% faith in that rock. He fell. No, it was the one who had a tentative faith, right? And stepped over and the rock held him. See, it's not the strength of your faith that matters. It's the object of your faith. Are you tracking? What you put your trust in impacts everything, church. What you put your trust in impacts everything. What you put your faith in impacts everything. 
and, and more than simply, I'm going to tell you what to do, or, 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 or are you going, I'm going to read what you want me to read. It's our expression of confidence, because that's the essence of the relationship that, 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 that's what God is after. So how do we get that? How do we get that complete confidence, trust in God, faith in God that doesn't waver? I'm glad you asked. Let me keep reading to you from the book of Luke. I'm reading from uh, verse 36. Because <coughs> Jesus really unpacks it even better here. Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him one owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? And Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. And then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house, and you didn't give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. And then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this that even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the women, your faith has saved you. Go in shalom. So Luke, the author, he writes this book, and, and he's trying to capture here in this passage, no matter who you are, no matter what your condition, no matter what, faith is the key. And she must have put all her money into that thing every bit of income she, she would have probably had at the time was going into that alabaster jar because the more money she put into that, the more money she would make. I mean, that was her livelihood. But at that moment, she breaks it and she pours all her wealth, all that's important to her, on Jesus' feet. And she cries and she wipes his feet with her hair. And the only leverage she's ever had, the only leverage she has in all the world, the only power of a prostitute that, that they have, the only power, the only significance, the only thing she had in the world were her looks, possibly her seductiveness, her desirability, her attractiveness, in her jar. And she's pouring it all on his feet. 
what's she doing? The one thing she trusted in with her whole being, the foundation of her life, she goes, I'm giving it to you. And she transfers her foundation from around her neck to his feet. And there were other people in that room. She wasn't one of those snobby people going, you know what, I'm doing okay. I said my prayers today. I gave today. Went to church this week. I'm a good person. I'm a moral person. I can get up in the morning with a little bit of confidence because I'm all right. She's not like that, is she? It wasn't her. We get this example even with the centurion. The centurion's like, I have no moral grounds. I know I'm not good enough. All, I just report to an emperor. But I know you, Jesus, have all the moral grounds in the world. I know you have all the authority in the world. Please help me. Please help come into my life. I don't trust my ability, Jesus. I trust in your ability. Liberate me. And so she weeps. He gives up control. And church, the only thing that, the most important thing that you have 100% control over is this. It's how much you choose to believe God. It's how much you choose to trust God. Why is faith so important? Why is it so important to the Daniel plan? Why is it so important to everything? Because what you put your trust in impacts everything. And here's the deal, because most of us never do this. What is the most foundational thing in your life? What's the thing you're wearing around your neck? What are all your hopes and dreams lying on today, leaning on today? What is it? What is it? What is it? And the question is, have you broken it and have you poured it out at Jesus' feet? Because faith, and the kind of faith we're talking about today, that faith that can withstand anything, that faith that can give you confidence to get through anything the world throws at you, that kind of faith, it requires a transfer of foundation. Completely and totally. And so what, what's hanging around your neck? What's your bottle? What are all your hopes and dreams lying on? And so Jesus is saying this, and he's saying this to Simon. Simon, why haven't you been kissing and hugging and letting down your hair and weeping all over me ever since I got here? And Simon's like, well, I don't have long hair. I don't know, but, but no, we know, how, we know what he's thinking, don't we? He's like, look at that disgraceful woman. Do you even know she's a prostitute? Do you know what kind of life she's had? You want me to act like that with you? And Jesus is like, yep. That might be a little harder for us guys to relate to. Would you agree? But, but here's the idea. He's saying, Simon, the kind of faith she has, the kind of faith that Centurion had, that's what transforms. That's the kind of faith that saves. How many of us have Simon faith today? Don't put your hands up. But how many of us have that kind of faith when it comes to God, comes to Jesus? Yeah, I'm here today, but you know what? I'm bored out of my mind. I can't wait for lunch. I'm just putting in my time. And you got like this poker face. Just doing my church thing. I got my church groove on. Got my church clothes on. I'm just riding through another series. And you're like, man, I pray. 
give, read my Bible every once in a while, read my doubt, maybe all the time, maybe I study. And Jesus is like, but there's no letting down of your hair. There's no pulling the big flask from around your neck. In fact, you haven't even thought about what those things might be. Have you ever thought about what that might be? There's no weeping. There's no passion. How do you get out of having a Simon kind of faith where all you do is sneer, put your nose to people, and think you're so much better than everyone else? And Jesus tells us, and he tells that parable that he told. And he's, he's like, Simon, let me tell you something. Simon, you may have invited me in your house, but she poured out her life to me. Simon, you may have come to me by compulsion. I mean, logically, it, it makes sense to believe that somebody, there is some intelligent designer of the universe. And if you, if you study, you research, you will come to the conclusion. I think it's very, very clear, even as I read from the beginning, that, that, that we're not here by chance. And, and logically, it's just the right thing to do to examine the religions and discover, yeah, may, maybe there is a, a God who wants a personal relationship with me. But you just logically come to those conclusions that it's the right thing to do. Simon, she's come to me out of attraction, out of love. You don't see anything. Simon is utterly beautiful. Simon, she understands that I'm going to, I don't know how she knew this, but I'm going to pour my whole life out for you and for her. She gets that. She understands that she's bad and she's in need of a Savior. Simon, do you realize that? Church, do you realize how bad you are? How far we fall short. So many of us, we even show up here and we are just got these poker faces on. And we're just trying to maintain this kind of church, church look, church, church kind of foundation. And Simon's, he's like, Simon, you haven't experienced a foundation transformation. You're still hanging on. You're still sneering at here. You're still a slave to your self-righteousness. You haven't transferred what's most important. And she's free. She's let her hair down. She doesn't care what you think. She doesn't care what anyone thinks. She now understands that I'm her master and she's not afraid of anything. She has complete confidence in me no matter what happens. She makes a transfer of foundation. And so Jesus is asking, have you done that, church? Have you done that? If your career is more important than Jesus, Guess what happens when you lose your job? You're devastated. If your marriage or relationship is more important than Jesus, what happens when you lose it? Because you will. If your finances and your wealth is more important to Jesus and it gets pulled away from you, if being liked by someone else, maybe it's a parent figure, it's a friend figure, and, and then you do something that wrongs them and it severs the relationship, what happens? You're broken, you're ruined. But if Jesus is the most important thing, this tells us that Jesus will always love you no matter what. And so bad stuff comes your way. Who cares? 
I love these passages, and I love Jesus because he's so unsentimental. He calls out poker faces. He calls a spade a spade, and he's so forthright in these passages. He's like, hey, Simon, look at her love. How come you don't have any? <laughs> look at her openness. Look at her surrender, and he's praising her. I don't know if there's another passage in, in the life of Jesus where he just keeps going on and on about somebody kind of embarrassing. I would have been embarrassed if I was her. But, but he's like, here's a picture of what it means to be in relationship with me. And he's like, your faith has saved you. Have you got that kind of faith? Can I invite the band up? And as we go to, to a time of communion and remembering through juice and bread, what a precious, amazing awesome debt Jesus paid to deal with our badness. Can I challenge you? I got homework for you. Figure out what that main thing is in your life. Figure out what it is you've been wearing around your neck. And, and think and think about have you transferred that to Jesus? Have you put it at his feet? Because until you have, all you've got is a Simon faith. That's all you got. How do you grow in your faith? Ask God. Surrender to God. Get in a community group of real around other believers who can challenge you. Get in the word. Listen for God. God wants you to have this big, big, huge faith and total confidence in him. So no matter what comes at you, you'll be able to handle anything. Let's pray. <laughs> God, I know, to, I know this morning uh, it's, a, it's a tough talk. It's a challenging talk. It's a lot of talk about something that we don't usually give a lot of thought to. And God, I pray in each and every one of our lives as your spirit's living and working and active, may we examine very closely what is most important to us. Are we just, do we just have this veneer and we're just trying to look moral and, but there's actually all this turmoil and we actually have our trust in something that, God, whatever it is we're wearing around our neck, challenge us, help us, help us to identify what it is, especially if we never have before. Help us to take those next steps to letting it go, releasing it, laying at its feet, smashing at your feet, giving it to you, transferring that foundation to you, the ultimate, the, 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 the foundation that never changes, the foundation that we can always depend on both in this life and for everlasting life, a foundation that will never leave us, forsake us, turn its back on us, a foundation that'll never let us go, a foundation that'll sustain us whether it's raining or whether the sun's out, whether calamity's coming our way or whether <sighs> things are good. Give us that kind of faith, that kind of confidence, that kind of relationship with you that is so big, it infects, reflects, and affects everything and everyone around us. We pray all these things in your precious name.